Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. What do you do when you're going through a crisis? Do you shake your fist at Jesus and say, if you loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen because if you're so in control, why is this stuff spinning out of control? Or do you allow God to use the crisis to get your attention to realize whatever control you have, it's not enough, and you need Jesus in the middle of the crisis? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. We live in an interesting day, don't we? We often think that we have a lot more independence and control than we really do. We can easily get too comfortable and proud depending on our supposed financial security instead of God. But when it's all stripped away, as many of us have experienced recently, it forces us to review our priorities and ask ourselves some hard questions. Today, Pastor Trent Griffith will begin by asking the same question that Jesus once asked his disciples. It's a soul-searching question with a lot of ramifications. Here's Pastor Trent. Let's get our Bibles open to Luke chapter 7. And today we're starting a brand new series. We're continuing to march verse by verse through the book of Luke. But as we cover chapter 7, 8, and 9, we're going to start this new series. I have to let you know that it's all leading up to the most important question that has ever been asked. And we find that question in Luke chapter 9, verse 20. Here's what Jesus asked his disciples one day. He said to them, who do you say that I am? That is the most important question that has ever been asked. That is the final exam. Now, you've got to do more than just supply the correct answer. You have to let the answer reorient your life. Now, fortunately, one of Jesus' disciples had been watching him and listening him and paying attention, so he knew the answer on the day that the question was asked. His name was Peter, and the answer he supplied was this. You are the Christ of God. Now, there are a lot of people that try to supply a lot of different answers to that question. Uh, Who do you say that I am? Progressive theologians would say you can't really know the answer to that question by reading the Bible because the Bible is just kind of filled with some stories that some men made up. And there's probably some things in there are true, but we really don't know what they are. And, And I'm certain that he was a good man, a good teacher, and he wanted us to kind of empower the disadvantaged and and heal the sick and feed the poor. And, and it, all of those things are probably good and true, but the, the point we're missing is that Jesus didn't just come to relieve human suffering. He came to relieve eternal human suffering, and there was a point for which he came that is outlined for us in the Bible that we believe with all of our hearts. And so, as Peter articulates these stories about Christ, these narratives about Christ, he is supplying the answer. Now, if you pay attention to chapter 7, 8, and 9, you will get to the same answer that Peter got to. And you cannot afford to get the answer wrong. Your eternal destiny is at stake. And so if you are concerned about your eternal destiny, you need to pay attention here as we walk through uh, this next section of Scripture. Now, let me just kind of remind you where we're at. We're in chapter 7, and if you've been around, you you know that chapter 6 is filled with not things that Jesus did. Chapter 6 is filled with things that Jesus said. 
And this was what we call the Sermon on the Plain. And so we have the sermon notes that somebody took on Jesus' sermon that he preached on the plain. And if you remember, that contained what we call the Beatitudes. And Jesus, in these in these words in chapter 6, told us what we're supposed to do with power, passion, pain, and painful people. And so if you were paying attention there, we learned, you remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. And so there's this attitude of poverty that we have to embrace. He's not talking about economic poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty, to come to God understanding I have a debt that I cannot pay and I am completely dependent upon your mercy to pay the debt that I should have paid. And, and so there's this attitude of spiritual poverty. In other words, we use our power for good and we don't power up. We use our power to serve others and empower others. And so we got to know what to do with power. And then secondly, we learned what we're supposed to do with our passions because Jesus said, blessed are the hungry, they will be satisfied. So if you're hungry now, what do you do with all these things that we hunger and thirst for? We hunger for power. We hunger for position. We hunger for acclaim. We hunger for achievement. And what do you do with that power? Jesus' followers, they use their passion to drive them to God who ultimately will satisfy. And then thirdly, he taught us what to do with the pain because all of us experience pain. Remember, he said, blessed are those who weep now for they will laugh. And so again... Jesus' followers just have a different understanding of the painful circumstances in our life and understand that one day Jesus is going to make it all right. And then fourthly, he taught us, blessed are those who are persecuted. So what do we do with these painful people? Blessed are you when, you, when people hate you and revile you and, and slander you and, and distance themselves from you. What, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bless those who persecute us and love our enemies. And so Jesus presents in chapter 6 this upside-down way of thinking that all of Jesus' followers embrace. So you got to do the right stuff with your power, your passion, your pain, and the painful people in your life. Now, as we get into chapter 7, Jesus' sermon closes. So the words of Jesus are stopping, and now we're going to go back to learning about not just what Jesus said, but what Jesus did. And as we open chapter 7, we're introduced to two people who illustrate what we're to do with power and pain. We're going to find a man who had great power and we're going to find a woman who had great pain. And so again, Luke is just teaching us the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Here's the big idea of the message. Very simple today. It's just this. Jesus is the perfect balance of compassion and control. Jesus is the perfect balance of compassion and control. So two stories, two points, one about control, one about compassion. Story opens up in Luke 7, verse 1. He says this, after he finished all his sayings, see, the words of Jesus came to an end. After he finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum was the adopted hometown of Jesus. That's where he returned to most often. It's been a year and a half of his three-year ministry, kind of in and around Capernaum there. Chapter, uh, verse 2, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. So we're introduced to this guy 
who's called a centurion. You have to remember at the time, in the promised land, the nation of Israel was being occupied by a military force and a governing controlling force from Rome. There was Roman occupation. And military and governmental leaders had people in their charge. This centurion was a man who had 100 men in his control. I'm looking around the room. I see some pretty impressive men and pretty powerful women in here. I'm thinking not too many of you in here have 100 employees working for you. You may be a manager, but you know, you've probably got just a few. Um, you, you may be the owner of a business, and maybe you do have 100 or more men and women under your authority. This guy was one of the most powerful men in the land at the time. And he could have probably thought, I have everything under control. That was until something happened outside of his control. One of the 100 men under his control got sick and was about to die. And apparently he was one of his favorites because it says he was highly valued. Now, how many of you this week had something happen to you outside of your control? All right, all the mothers, lift your hand. Mothers, lift your hand. Some of you say, I got four little things that are outside of my control. I've been trying to control them all week. I'm not doing a very good job. They're not getting with the program here. They do not understand that I'm the centurion in the family, right? Well, listen, this guy, the centurion, he, he had power and authority and control, but then when something happened to one of his men, maybe for the first time in his life, he realized whatever power he had, whatever control he had, it wasn't sufficient. Maybe for the first time in his life, he realized, I can't fix it. Are you there this morning? Or are you still living with the illusion that your power and your control is sufficient? Remember, we're trying to answer the question this morning, who is Jesus? Who do you say I am? That's the answer that Jesus wants out of you. And here's the first way to answer the question. It's real simple. Jesus is in control. You believe that? Uh, come on. If you really believe that, we got, we got some ways of testing that this morning, so don't be too quick to like, throw it out there because I might shoot you down. All right, so, so if you really believe that Jesus is in control, then this is the way you live your life. Because I believe Jesus is in control, I will use my power, my control, and my authority for good. Everybody in here has a measure of control. You have a measure of authority. Some of you are in positions of authority. You're a teacher, you're a coach, you're a pastor, you're a husband, you're a leader, you're a mom. And so everybody in here has some measure of control. But there's another truth in here. Everybody in here is under somebody else's authority. Everybody in here has a measure of control, but everybody in here is probably at some point being controlled by somebody else or some, some other influence. The question is, what will you do with your power? Remember, that's what Jesus was teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Will you relinquish control? Will you be open-handed with your power? 
This guy had some power, and I want you to notice the way that he used his power here. Notice in verse 3, it says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. What do you think he had heard about Jesus? He had heard the things that we've previously read in the previous six chapters, that Jesus was healing people, Jesus was casting out demons, and apparently Jesus was, had more power and more control than even the centurion had. And for the first time in his life, because of the crisis he was facing, he invited Jesus into the crisis. What do you do when you're going through a crisis? Do you shake your fist at Jesus and say, if you loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen because if you're so in control, why is this stuff spinning out of control? Or do you allow God to use the crisis to get your attention to realize whatever control you have, it's not enough, and you need Jesus in the middle of the crisis? Notice what he says in verse 4. It says, and when they came to Jesus, they pled with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us this synagogue. So now we're learning a little bit more about this centurion here. We said he had some authority, he had some control, he had some power, but he used his power and authority for good. This guy had the power to either make the Jews' lives miserable or to make it good. And do you know what he did? He made it good. He made it better. Because he used the power of his wealth to build a synagogue for God's people. Now, what was his motivation? Why was he doing that? We don't exactly know, but I think he liked what went on in the synagogue. What was the synagogue? Now remember the difference between the temple and the synagogue. The place of worship was the temple. That was only one. That was in Jerusalem. But each little community had their own synagogue. And what happened in the synagogue was the teaching of the word of God. Again, in chapter 6, Jesus walked into that synagogue. He unrolled the scroll and he read from Isaiah and said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what happened in chapter 6. The guy that built that synagogue was this centurion. He used his economic power to actually construct a place where the word of God could be heard and disciples could be made. Some of you are using your economic power to do that around here. Some of you are sitting in seats that were purchased by others that planned for you to show up. And so they made themselves a little less economically powerful so that we could have a more powerful influence for the gospel around here. Those of you that are throwing in each week in the offering, those of you that have made a, a pledge so that we could provide some more space back here for, for disciple making, what you are choosing to do is realize there's not as much power in money as people think and so I'm going to relinquish control of it so, uh, so that the word of God can go forth. And that's what this centurion did by building that synagogue. And so he threw in. He gave up. He opened his hands. And so he was a good man. And as a result of that, the, the Jewish people, this guy was a hero. They, they said, he loves us. He is worthy of Jesus' attention. 
Let's see if Jesus agreed. Look at verse 6. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurions sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Everybody see the word under in verse 6? Underline the word under in verse 6. What, what was going on here? Now, notice here, this guy didn't think he was worthy to have Jesus do anything for him. Now, I don't know about you, if I've got some measure of power or control, sometimes I can be deluded into thinking that I am worthy of more things than I actually am. This guy humbly said, I'm not worthy. As a matter of fact, he goes on and recognizes where he is in the organizational chart in God's kingdom here. Notice he says, I, I don't want you to come under my roof. What does that have to do with anything? Well, that was a cultural symbol. If you were a man in authority, you didn't come under the roof of somebody who ranked lower than you. That would have been a disgrace. And so this centurion recognized, I don't rank over Jesus. He has more control, more authority, and more power than I do. Therefore, don't come under my roof. Then he goes on in verse 7 and says this, Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, notice here in verse 8 how he introduces himself to Jesus. He doesn't look at Jesus and say, hi, I'm the centurion that built the synagogue that you teach in. I'm a man in authority. That's not how he introduces himself. He doesn't identify himself as a man in authority. He identifies himself as a man under authority. He embraces the role of a servant, not one of a leader. He recognized he was under the authority of another. We don't know exactly who that was, but he embraced his role as a servant. And that's what every follower of Jesus does. No matter how much control, no matter how much power, no matter how much authority you have, you wake up every morning and you report for work and you say, I'm a man set under authority. And all of us have human authorities. It's interesting there that he says, I'm set. Who do you think set him under authority? He was recognizing God's prerogative and how he sets people in positions of leadership. And that's why if you really believe Jesus is in control, you can say this, I will trust Jesus is in control of my authorities. Now, how many of you right now are thinking of an authority? Just, just get in your mind the face of the person that most often tells you what to do. You got that person in your, your mind? How many of you are happier now that I brought that person to your attention on a Sunday morning? It's Sunday. Why would I want to be thinking about them on a Sunday, right? And for most of us, you're probably thinking, if 
I could have that position, everything would be better. If I was the one telling people where to go and what to do. What I'm about to say will surprise many of you. It'll actually shock you. But when I was a teenager, I had a problem with authority. I know it's a shock. I know it's hard to believe. Confessions of a pastor on Sunday morning. Okay, but I've gotten over that, I, I, right? Uh, no, no, and neither have you. Uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, the human condition is we don't like anybody telling us where to go, what to do, and how to do it. When I was a teenager, my youth pastor was trying to help me with my little issue with authority, and so he showed me a Bible verse. It's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. Y'all listen over there. So Proverbs 21, verse 1 says this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the streams of water, he turns it wherever he wants it to go. It's, it's, it's a picture of authority. The king is the picture of authority, right? And the king's heart is where? It's in the hand of the Lord. And the Lord has no problem changing the heart of the king. It's like when you go out and water your, your flowers, you know, in July, sometime when it gets above 60 degrees around here in Michiana, and uh, you're, you're watering your flower. You got the garden hose, right? And you're watering this flower over here, and pretty soon it's had enough to drink, and then it's time to water that one. So what do you do? You, you water this one. Is that hard for you? Is, is this action hard? No. In the same way, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the streams of water, he turns it wherever he wants it to go. If you really believe Jesus is in control, you can submit to human authorities, no matter how flawed they are. Our problem is we want to maintain control. And we really don't believe in every moment of the day that Jesus is in control. But I can trust Jesus is in control of my authorities if I really believe Jesus is in total control. And then this, if you really believe Jesus is in control, I will not worry when things are out of my control. Are you a control freak Is your husband a control freak? I'll put it that way. Is your wife a control freak? Are your children control freaks? Are you, are you a control freak? Listen, if every time something breaks or everything gets off schedule or people don't show up on time or it costs more than it was supposed to cost, if you freak out and spin into anxiety, fear, and worry, you really believe Jesus is in control? I mean, come on. This was the first time maybe in this centurion's life that something happened outside of his control. And what did he do? Did he freak out? Or did he go to Jesus and invite him into the crisis? He knew where to go when things were spinning out of his control. And the same is true for us. Whenever you lose control, and it happens for all of us, as a matter of fact, we all live with the illusion of control until something breaks, until you get old and you lose 
your mind or you lose your strength or you lose your purchasing power or you lose your job or you lose the relationship that meant so much to you. When things slip out of your control, that's the moment that whether or not you believe Jesus is in control gets tested. And if you invite Jesus into the situation like the centurion, it speaks well of you. Here's the last thing. If you believe Jesus is in control, you can say this, I will demonstrate my faith by yielding control to Jesus. Notice how the story ends in verse nine. Jesus heard these things. Remember the guy had just said, I'm a man set under authority. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And so Jesus heals him. Jesus does something to reverse the crisis. And the guy is identified as a man of faith. Now notice the connection that Jesus makes between the guy's faith and the relinquishing of control. The Christian life is all about giving up control. And you can only do that if you truly believe Jesus is who he said he is. If you have a control problem, you have a faith problem. And the demonstration of your faith is giving control to Jesus. That's what this guy who had much power, much control did. He gave control to Jesus. How about you? You really believe Jesus is who he said he is? You really believe Jesus is in control? If so, we'll use our power for good. We'll relinquish control to Jesus. can all learn some important lessons from that centurion, can't we? Trent Griffith has been showing us that our behavior and our attitudes help answer an important question about us. That question is this, who do you really believe that Jesus is? Pastor Trent will finish this message next week right here on Resonate. Well, as we heard today, the centurion used resources that he had to benefit others. How about you and me? Even though our movements are more restricted, we do still have ways that we can use our time, our money, and our energy for others. The searching question that Jesus asked applies to us as well. Who do we say that he is? You know, the things we watch, the things we buy, the words that we use with others, all will show where our true priorities lie, even during a time of quarantine especially during a time of quarantine. One really constructive way that you could use your time would be by joining one of Gospel City Church's online services. You can do that from the comfort of your home. Just go to mygospelcity.org live. We have a service this weekend, of course, and next Friday at 6 p.m., we'll be live streaming our Good Friday service. On Easter Sunday at 10 a.m., you can catch our Easter Sunday celebration as well. So you're invited to join us in worship. Again, that web address is mygospelcity.org live. All the details are there. 
Well, today we heard that Jesus has the ultimate authority. And next week, Pastor Trent continues this study in Luke chapter 7 to show us that Jesus has the ultimate compassion. We'll see it in a lesser known miracle that he performed. I hope you'll join us for that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and it's my prayer that God's word and God's priorities would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.